When all is said and done, I'll always be your son. But all is not forgiven. Well, I'm on my knees. Pleading just cause I'm grown You think I don't need much more than what You've ever given me So when we gonna get together Seems there's no time for me You act like you've got forever you got time but you ain't got time for me I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. It is June 21st, and as of today, we have 9,035,375 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 469,589 deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. That opening was this time by River, uh, the album River Runs Red uh, by Life of Agony. It came out in uh, 93. And it was the song that I played for my father after having not seen him since I was a child. It always spoke to me because I have so many hang-ups with the concept of, of fathers. Uh, my father ended up, my mother ended up leaving my father uh, after, you know, from an abusive relationship. I never felt connected with my, the, the man who raised me, my stepfather, my dad, uh, for a long time, uh, all of my youth. I felt like I was less important than his own son, and that could have just because, been because of the, uh, the difficult situation those types of family units are, or just my particular family unit was. I had always yearned for this idea of a father that would play catch with you that would teach you things. And I never really felt like I got that as a kid. And so I always sort of yearned for it. Um, and I always held a, a lot of resentment for my own father, who just wasn't in the picture. And I know some of it was my mother, but he didn't really try very hard. 
And so as a father myself, how do you not become informed by the experiences that you had with your father? Either reactionarily, like I'm, I will not do that, or in a positive way, like my father did this, so I will pay it forward and do the same thing to my kids. And as grown men, we try our best, whatever that means, to be the best father that you can be, whatever that means. But the truth is, a father from my generation is dramatically different than the fathers that I see in this generation. For example, my parents didn't give a fuck about what we did. Like they, they, it wasn't their job to entertain us. It wasn't the job of the father to make sure the son had something to do that Saturday afternoon. He would give you chores, you would do the chores, and then you are free to do whatever you want. Nowadays, parents are supposed to have this intimate, involved, convoluted, tied-up knot with their kids, where they're constantly in their hair, never giving their kids a chance to breathe, as I see it. But I guess, maybe I'm just from a different generation, I don't see it as being a better version of a dad. So when I look at the idea of being a father, what I want are healthy adult humans that are capable of taking care of themselves in the world that we actually live in, who more often than not, I forced to go out with me and experience things and hopefully they will reflect fondly on that. And it's weird because now I have one 18-year-old and I've got an 11-year-old who, you know, we've got seven more years with her. But I've gotten to the point as a father where I don't even try to take them out hiking anymore. Like my wife asked me, hey, what do you want to do for Father's Day? Do you want to go out for a hike? And I immediately said, no, because it's a chore. I have to fight and I have to argue. And then my enjoyment of the entire experience is just completely ruined and they didn't ever want to spend time with me and go out and do the stuff anyway. And so what does it mean to be a father? Someone who nags them all the time? You need to do this. Do this better. Try changing up and doing this. This is what that means. I'm just someone who tells them when they're supposed to go to bed? I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the idea of what is expected of me at this point in my life. I'm struggling with what I'm expecting from my kids. What, what, what do I expect them to say or do for Father's Day? And I got to be honest with you. The only thing that I want is a happy Father's Day. And in my memory of all day today, it was just my wife that said it a couple times to me, which I think one of those was meant to spur on the kids to say it. Uh, and my stepdad, who isn't supposed to say it to me, I said it to him. I gave him a call to say it. And so I feel like an absolute failure of a dad, not because of the stupid fucking holiday, but because I don't even want to engage in that idea anymore because it's wrapped up in so much stress and animosity of years, 18 years of trying. So I don't know 
what it means to, <laughs> to be a good father. I don't know what it means to have a happy Father's Day. Our neighbor asked my wife, hey, you guys do anything special? My wife said, no. We didn't do anything special for Mother's Day. I just made her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, you know, I pretty much did all the stuff throughout the day that she normally does. And that's kind of what we do as a family. Uh, I just want them to be healthy, you know? I want them to be able to not be too afraid to challenge those in life that are going to challenge them, that are going to step up to them. And if they can do that, then I succeeded, I guess. If they can stand up to me when I am full of shit, then I succeeded, I suppose. Uh, I'm a little early this week. Shit has been really heavy for me, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you. It's been really heavy for me this week. I'm, uh, <laughs> I almost didn't do the show. I almost didn't do the book club reading earlier today. Um, it's not a reading, the book club discussion. I'm, I'm kind of done. You know, like I go through these modes. Everyone goes through these modes where you, you just, you're just not really into it. You know, I'm just not really into anything. I don't, I, I don't know if it's just this time of year or everything that's preceded it or everything that's happened in 2020 specifically or whether it's just my own whatever. I feel fucking done. This is, this has become a chore, you know? And, and when I started doing nine cents, uh, this version in February, I was like, well, it's going to be super simple because I'm just going to, you know, get on and chat for 15 minutes about three different types of topics and then I'll be done. And that is like super easy. It doesn't take any time at all. Yeah, Blake, hundred percent. But, uh, it's, If it wasn't for you guys, I would not do this shit at all. That being said, let's talk about you guys. Uh, William, thanks for joining the chat. Behemoth, how you doing, man? Basilis. Awesome. Cherokee language. That's interesting. Good luck with that. Kate, good to see you again. Vasiri, what up? How you doing, Valeria? Dallas, good to see you again. Uh, Sean, what's up going? <laughs> what's up going? Zachary, good to see you. Um, Blake, thank you for joining us. Kyle, good to see you. What's up, Gary? And uh, whoever else is in the chat. I think that's everyone for now. All right. Uh, I do have a lot to talk about this week. So I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible. In The Devil's Advocate, I've got to identify your weaknesses, then turn them into strengths. In the Infernal Informant, Ulysses S. Grant statue toppled in San Francisco. And Trump says he wants to punish flag burners with a year in prison. And in their final segment, The Creature Feature, I'm going to talk a little bit about Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. My nerd side is going to peek out. Um, yeah, so we just had Summer Solstice, which is a thing, I guess. I don't know. Before I uh, identified as a Satanist, I never once thought about the solstices, ever. Never. It never even crossed my mind. And then the solstices now, I guess, it's a thing. <laughs> it's less important to me. Um, you know, birthdays, number one for me, personally. Solstices, meh. I try to care, I guess, whatever that means. And if you're with friends, it's always a good excuse to ritualize if you, if you, you know, need a ritual or something. 
don't know. Um, I've been doing a lot of live stream gaming, and I got to this strange moment where I realized um, I've got a problem. Like, I've got an addiction or something. Like, there's something inside of me that is compelled to not do anything unless it's being live streamed. And that just drives me fucking insane. Because no one gives a fuck. I have an entire channel that's just built around reading aloud. And it's just reading books. I mean, what the fuck am I doing? And, and now, just like playing fucking video games? I'm a grown-ass man and I'm playing fucking video games? I... And then, like, these things. I, you know, I have the Satanist on Cinema. We tried to do that on Mondays. We picked that back up after the fucking pandemic sort of grounded us for a while. And I got this weekly show. What? Why? Is anyone getting anything out of any of this? Because I certainly am not. Like, I don't understand what the fuck I'm doing. I feel like I'm trapped in this weird fucking prison of, like, a frame of mind, right? Like, I don't know if you guys ever saw the original Superman, where, like, General Zod and his people were trapped in these, like, weird crystal, like, fat, flat crystals that sort of, like, spun throughout space. Like, that's what I feel like. I'm trapped in this weird crystal shape that's spinning through space, and the only way that I can express myself is if someone else is fucking looking. And how sad and disgusting does that make me? That that is the only time I feel like any type of validation in life. And so I'm like, well, do, what do I do? Like, is this just one of those other fancies that those, those flights of depression that I get on, you know, regular where I just delete everything and I, I shut it all down? Or do I try to work through it this particular time and just say, okay, just don't overreact as you are prone to do and just fight through it. And that's kind of where I am right now. I'm just fighting through these horrible fucking feelings that are just like I'm treading water, you know? I'm just trying to stay above the fucking water. And it's frustrating because you can't reach out to your family. Like you're a burden at that point. And I know that's all they want. They want to help, they want to ease, but there's nothing you can do. So they can't, you know, you can't get a pat on the back or a hug and make it all go away. You just have to fucking work through it. I don't know. Let's do a little devil's advocate. I have no clothes for that. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. All right, I'm often talking about uh, Satanism through the lens of real-world accomplishment. Like, that's, that's my, my go-to. It's, it's that, you know, we have this tool set um, that is lesser and greater magic and this 
expectation that if you do truly identify as a Satanist, I actually do have an image here, let me just throw that up, then uh, part of what it means to be a Satanist is to work on yourself, right? It's to end up being a better version of yourself, and part of that means you need to evaluate yourself. You need to take personal inventory of your strengths and weaknesses, and then make tough choices as a Satanist. Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk about, the idea of identifying what those weaknesses are, and then how to turn them into strengths if it's something that you desire to do, and then if it's something that you're capable of doing. Because as I've always said from the beginning, the way I see the world is that everyone has this sort of innate ability, right? You, you can push boundaries on what you are ca personally capable of, but you can't really go much beyond whatever your personal boundary is. Um, and knowing those boundaries is really important, and it's actually really challenging to identify, especially if you see yourself as the highest embodiment of human life, right? Uh, and so this is something that alcoholics, addicts in general, deal with as part of their 12 steps, right? They take personal inventory. Uh, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about what that means and then how you could turn your weaknesses into strengths. Uh, Self-inventory, it involves listing people, things, places, institutions, and even ideas that you feel resentment toward or hurt by. It requires identifying the root cause of these resentments or past hurts, recognizing how these events or developments made you feel about yourself and how you, it made you feel about others. It requires identifying how you and just the way you are may be to blame, taking ownership of these stresses that you're experiencing. Uh, and then ultimately, it by taking inventory, it helps you map out how you can respond differently to these play, people, places, things, institutions, or ideas, right? Um, it's, it's reflection on your life experience, the traumas, perhaps, that help define who you are, your individual chemistry that makes up your mind and, and, and how you perceive the world around you. Being able to honestly and objectively look at yourself. And, you know, we always use the, the, the concept of looking in the mirror. Uh, and being able to take that inventory, and it's not so much as I need to pluck my eyebrows as... Maybe I need to change the way I interact with others in specific situations. And there's nothing more challenging than looking at yourself and seeing the faults, one, but then understanding that you can actually change the way that you interact with others. And it's by taking ownership of yourself you know, children will often say, and we hear this from adults, but I don't see them as much more than children if they use this excuse still as adults. They'll say, well, this person made me do that. They made me act that way because the way they were acting. But you're giving away your power as a human being if that's how you move through life. I was angry because my boss made me stay late. Why does that make you angry that you had to stay late? Do you not enjoy your work? Is it something that you need to just change professions? Do you need to change places of employment? The fact that you got angry is not your boss's fault. It's your fault. 
being able to take ownership of our faults, again, especially for me uh, personally, it's hard. It's really hard. And sometimes you don't want to. And so you just put it off for a little while, knowing that it is out there looming and that at some point you're going to have to face whatever that is again. And when you're ready, when you feel up to that challenge, then step in front of it again and say, okay, I had this reaction or I treated this person this way. What led up to that? And we can't just excuse our behaviors, good or bad, on external stimuli. Because ultimately, it is us that are exhibiting those behaviors. And it's that very point of taking ownership of how you interact, how you feel, before you even interact. That's this, the fucking hardest part because it requires a pause. It requires reflection. It requires strength of character. And so once you've identified these situations, behaviors, thoughts, actions, traumas, and you've examined how you can change your mindset or your engagements with them in order to have a more positive outcome, whatever that means for you as an individual, um, that, that, that learning to how, have a, a, a better, more positive outcome is in fact the turning weaknesses into strengths, right? So here are six steps that some leaders have used in order to turn weaknesses that they may have into strengths that may be of benefit to you as a Satanist or just as an individual who wants to improve upon yourself. And ultimately, that's really what we should be doing, right? It's being the best version of us, not this idea of something, but the best version of us that we can possibly be. And it's, I got to say this really quick too, because whenever anyone has these types of conversations, it's easy to say, okay, well, the best version of me is to be closer to that person, to be more like that person. And you're already doing yourself a disservice if you do that. You cannot compare yourself to others because they have completely different life experiences. They have completely different hangups. They're completely different individual people. And so you can only compare yourself to yourself. It's like if, if you're um, an artist and you're constantly comparing your work to other great artists, you will never measure up. Because you're, you're putting the, the baseline of acceptable on exceptional people's feet. And let's be honest, you may be able to reach that, but more often than not, you, you never will. And so you just have to find out how you can be the best master of your own abilities, not in comparison to others, but in comparison to what you're actually capable of. And that also is a very tough fucking cookie to swallow. Admitting to yourself, I'm not going to be the best at A or B, but I'm going to give it everything that I have to be as good at it as possible, right? So recognizing and accepting your weaknesses. You have to be able to accept them. Again, it's not easy, but it's imperative. Um, get guidance from someone you trust. Uh, especially if you're in, you know, there's, there's an, a range of unhealthy relationships that we're going to experience as individuals throughout our lives, right? Um, you're going to have toxic 
sexual encounters, toxic emotional relationships, psychic vampires that you're going to have to try to break off from. Uh, but every once in a while, you are going to run across an impartial someone, someone that has no interest in shaping you, but can just be honest with you. And that may be a mentor, it may be a coworker, it may just be an old friend that you've both broken down those walls of, of plastic, uh, you know, falsehood, and just you're just openly honest with them. It's important to have someone that you trust to give you honest feedback, right? And uh, be very prepared in life. You know, you should know what to expect in life, right? It's going to throw you a curveball, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's uh, your job going under. You're going to be thrown or your relationship souring. You fall out of love with people. It happens. Re you have to be able to see a moment as it's happening and then take stock. Take personal inventory. How do I get prepared for this? What do I have to do to be ready for this? And then make sure you're as prepared as possible to deal with it. Don't take action, unless it's survival, but don't take action until you've actually thought about what you're going to do, right? Reflect. If you don't have the skill set to face the challenges in your life, hire someone who does. Connect with someone who does. Again, we're not going to be able to do everything in life. But the one or two things that we are not able to do, someone else is. So connect with them. Maybe it's just a, a partner, a, a professional partner. Maybe it's a sexual partner. Maybe it's just a friend. Maybe it's a, a, um, a, just someone that's helping you through a moment that you're experiencing. Find someone that has the skills that you're lacking so that you can move forward, right? Uh, and then, you know, just get good enough. This is something that, you know, it, it may seem a little bit at odds with what I was saying is everyone has this sort of innate capacity that, but we're not born at our limit of what we can do, right? We have to build up to that limit in order to find out what that limit is. And so we have to practice at our weaknesses. If we're not good at something, and you want to be good at something, then you have to actively engage in that something. You have to work at it. Life is never handed to you. You're never just this savant that's able to do anything. You have to work at things in life. You have to work at relationships. You have to work at parenting. You have to work at being a presenter. You get better by doing that. So get good enough to do it. If you want to do it, Get good enough to do it through challenge, through working at it. Uh, and look for ways to serve others with the same problem. And the truth is that if you find out your weakness and a solution to your weakness, chances are there's other people who have that same weakness. And they can help you with, or I'm sorry, you can help them with that. You can create um, space for them to work uh, with others that share that same weakness, right? You can monetize it. I mean, you can create a whole profession around it. But the fact that you've worked through these weaknesses, knowing that others are going to come behind you, find ways, if it's inside of you, to do that, uh, to help 
those others that are coming up and trying, you know? So that's really um, where I wanted to go with this topic. It's easy to say we need to work on our weaknesses, but how? You know, and what are weaknesses? Maybe it's just something that we're not very good at, you know? Maybe it's dancing. And that may not be very important to you as a personal individual, but through Lesser Magic, it may be important that you learn how to do it in order to see some sort of goal come to fruition through your actions. And so you need to work at being a better dancer for that one moment that will then change that relationship. You know, uh, it's, it's being able to look down range and see what's coming, preparing for it, and then you can meet it and deal with it, you know? Uh, okay, so that's what I wanted to talk about. It looks like you guys are having uh, Jacko Willenick has a good one, extreme ownership. Some good suggestions here. Recently, you quit smoking again, 32 days smoke-free. Good on you, Jordan. Usually the pain is what compels the addiction, but I decided to use it as a reason to quit, even though it's more painful. Yeah, I quit cold turkey uh, after seven years. My wife and I both did in 2000, I think it was. Uh, you highly recommend both Marcus Aurelius's meditations and Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. Powerful and constantly applicable books on hardships and trials. Thanks for the suggestion, Blake. I think those are great suggestions. Um, so it is something that we need to continually work on ourselves and don't just lie complacent. Don't just think that, oh, I'm never going to be good at that or I'm never going to be able to succeed at this. If it's a dream of yours, if it's a goal of yours, work on it. There are ways that even if you are individually unable to cross that line, others may help you cross that line. And if it really is a goal and it's worth achieving, then you will find a way to do it as a Satanist, I think. Or at least that should always be what we strive for, right? Okay, let's do a little Infernal Informant. throw up my image here and we will get into it so this is an article from foxnews.com Ulysses S. Grant statue toppled in San Francisco now Ulysses S. Grant served as the 18th president of the United States from 1869 to 1877 the statue of former president Ulysses S. Grant the Union general who led his army to victory against the Confederacy during the Civil War was toppled on Friday as hundreds gathered in San Francisco to celebrate Juneteenth during his tenure in the White House, Grant advocated for the civil rights of former slaves and helped ratify the 15th Amendment, which gave blacks the right to vote. While Grant allowed pardons for former Confederate leaders, he also passed laws that limited the activities of the Ku Klux Klan to prevent them from terrorizing African Americans. Critics of the former president point to the fact that he owned a slave who may have been gifted to him, but was freed before the beginning of the war. Nearly 400 people gathered to knock down the effigy on the anniversary commemorating the day African Americans in Texas were finally informed the President Abraham Lincoln had issued the Emancipation Proclamation freeing slaves living in Confederate states two years earlier. 
The statue was one of three knocked over, uh, knocked down over uh, Golden Gate Park during demonstrations. The others, including a statue of uh, Junipero Sierra, an 18th century missionary who was declared a saint in the Catholic Church, and Francis Scott Key, the author of the National Anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> what the fuck is going on with this shit? I... If you want something changed, there are ways to change it, right? Like, you go to your state, local, city councilman, you go to your local state representatives, you tell them why you want something removed, they deliberate as part of the representation of the greater society that you're a part of, whether that's a town, a city, a state, etc. And then for hopefully, the benefit of that population, they make decisions whether or not to remove a statue or not. This isn't fucking Iran or Iraq where dictators that have just been overthrown have statues up that we are now going to tear down. And at what point did the idea of a liberal who is supposed to be championing free speech turn into this new version of fascism where if it's not fitting with my personal worldview in this moment right now, it must be abolished. We must tear it down. He owned a slave before he fought and won the goddamn civil war. Is that not enough to redeem the other bad? Are we just treating people now as if they don't grow? They don't learn from their mistakes? This has always been my biggest complaint about politics. Whenever you have an opposing team, as it were, say, well, you can't trust that representative on the other side because they flip-flop. Human beings are supposed to flip-flop. They're supposed to have an idea informed by experience and their own personal morals, and hopefully their constituents, and then if presented with facts, change. That's what we're supposed to do. What we're not supposed to do is reflect on one bad thing someone's done or said or a tweet they've put out years ago and then burn them at the fucking stake, regardless of how they act nowadays. But they said it that one time, so fuck them. They don't fit my worldview. <laughs> the man's a fucking war hero for fighting to keep the union together and abolish slavery. But that's not good enough? Nothing is good enough if that's not good enough. No one is free from bias and prejudice. No one is above and beyond judging other people. That's how we've survived. That's how we thrive, is by judging other people and acting accordingly. <laughs> it used to be, and we're going to talk about it here in a second, it used to be the right that were the fucking insane fascists that you cannot say this or that because it's against my worldview. Now, they still do that. 
And now the left is doing it too. This is new in the past decade. This did not used to happen. This is new. This is new with millennials and Gen Z. This is fucking new. And we cannot just say because it is popular in this moment, then it must be extrapolated out. I reflect on the Egyptian Sphinx. Yeah, I'm jumping all the way over to Egypt here, people. When Napoleon rolled through and dominated a lot of the world with his army, he destroyed and defaced past cultures. When the Spanish came into South America, they destroyed all, even through up North America as well. They destroyed entire cultures, art, and history, and religion. Now, this is part of the human experience. This is where we've come from. And if we obliterate it, we can learn nothing. We will literally be forgetful of past orthodoxies if it does not exist to remember. If we strike everything that we disagree with throughout all of history, which will be all of history because nothing fits with now except for now. And guess what? What we think is okay right now in 10 years is going to fucking change. So what? Now we're going to have to wipe out now? We cannot wash our fucking history with this fucking white privilege brush. We have to fucking accept that human beings are complicated. That they change. And even if they didn't fucking change, that is who they were. And we have to meet them at the honest place of where they were if we're going to have them in a book and teach our children about them. Are we just going to not talk about the Civil War now? And I think it is different for Confederate soldier statues. I don't think that they should be torn down by an angry mob. I think, again, you go to your city and state representatives, you make your case, and then it gets removed. But they were traitors to the country. They literally fought against the Union to break up the Union. So... No, we should not celebrate the Confederate war heroes, if you want to call them that. Because by their very fucking existence and their actions, they were anti-American. They were moving against the United States. So that's different. But for fucking Union? Ulysses S. Grant? A president? That's not good enough? Get the fuck out of here. What the fuck are you doing? Fucking children. Goddamn infants. Guess what? Life does not meet your expectations every time. History is not going to meet your expectations in any particular case. That doesn't mean we fucking get rid of it. Because it happened. It existed. It's real. It means you fucking learn from it. You don't destroy it. The destruction of, of human civilization is a normal thing. So maybe I'm just going against our very nature. It's happened throughout all humanity, all cultures. It doesn't matter where on the globe you were throughout history. The stronger group wipes out the weaker group and they get rid of everything that was before them. But as someone who 
cherishes human expression in all of its ugliness and all of its beauty, I can't help but think in modern times we should fucking know better than to do that. It just drives me crazy. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why it's being done. What's good enough? What could possibly meet your fucking expectations that it would be okay to keep in a public square? Fucking people, man. Uh, statue topplers are hoping their act will be seen as strength through symbolism, when in reality it amounts to little more than being the kid who topples the board after losing. Yeah, I'm taking my balloons and I'm going home. Um, tit sucking heinous. <laughs> the left has been increasingly pushing towards lunatic fringe over the past decade. Millennials and Gen Z don't help the matter either. No, they don't. They really don't. And the problem is that they pressure other generations into it as well. And so instead, if, if you consider yourself a liberal and you want to express those ideals, that used to mean exploring ideas, right? Now it means, okay, well, I have to go along with whatever the broadest group of liberals are around me so that I'm not seen as an outsider anymore. Now liberalism means fitting into whatever narrow box the current group deems appropriate. Let's break statues. You can't say that. Soon becomes burn the books, and we don't allow our kind, your kind here. It's not far from that, Zachary. You're absolutely right. President Grant did more for African Americans than any president up to Lyndon Johnson. Robert Stock, I think you're absolutely right. Um, Lyndon Johnson, Dallas says, was a racist shithead. Virtually everyone back then was a racist shithead. Even nowadays, if you are a white, progressive liberal you're going to be racist. That's just the reality of life. Um, in some way, it's going to happen. You cannot condemn people for their life experience or for fears. You have to work through them as an individual, right? But to condemn others because, what, they're human too? What does that mean? That, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. It does not compute. Destroying history is very totalitarian move. Yep, you're absolutely right, Zachary. It drives me insane. I don't. Uh, South provided the majority of the resources for the entirety of the United States for the trade of the benefit of the northern industry. If the United States were split, everyone would have lost. Absolutely, that's true. Um, and the reason why they were so capable of doing that was slavery. I mean, it was a normal thing in the time. It, people didn't necessarily like it, but it was. Oh, and here's something that people need to understand. It's still happening. Slavery throughout the world. It's a thing that still is actively happening. I did entire shows based on it. All you have to do is look in the news. It is happening still. So let's stop pretending that we are past slavery being a thing in our world and we must eradicate all past expression of it. It's still going on. If you really cared about slavery... You wouldn't be tapping statues of people that are dead. You'd be fighting organizations that are actively engaging in it right now, in our country and abroad. But that's too difficult because that actually requires, I don't know, action. Not just getting together with a, you know, a hundred other people and putting ropes around a piece of bronze cast fucking wood. Like, it, it exists. It's a reality. It's fucking horrific, but it 
exists still. So let's stop pretending like it's a thing of our past that we can just wipe away and focus on how we can stop it continuing if you actually still care about it. Otherwise, you're just a shitbag who wants to put a fucking meme up on your fucking picture or a flag or a fucking black field on your profile face. Uh, I can't even fucking talk. I'm so upset. On your social media profile to just project this false idea of being a fucking ally. Fuck you. You're not a fucking ally. You're a piece of shit, weak fucking pussy is what you are. I know that word has a lot wrapped up into it. And literally, there's nothing weak about a pussy. It's actually one of the most uh, powerful fucking organs. But that being said, I still said it. <laughs> Just don't erect a statue of me because then someone is going to tear it down <laughs> for saying that. All right, let's move on to the next one. I'm sweating like a fucking animal here. Um, where is my image? Remove that and throw up the next one. Uh, look at this clown. All right. Trump says he wants to punish flag burning with a year in prison. <laughs> oh, what are we going to do with this guy, people? Honestly, are we just going to let him stay? What, what are we going to do? Trump cited an incident at a protest. This is from Forbes.com. Trump cited an incident at a protest in Portland at the inspiration for his proposal. Two days ago, leftist protesters in Portland, Oregon, ripped down a statue of George Washington and wrapped it in an American flag and set the American flag on fire, Trump said to raucous boos from the crowd. Democrat. All Democrat. Everything I tell you is Democrat, he added. Twitter users were quick to note the unconstitutionality of Trump's proposal. Someone should tell Trump that they once tried to have a law that criminalized flag burning, but the Supreme Court struck it down in a decision that Justice Scalia joined, historian Kevin Cruz noted. Trump would likely need to appoint several new justices to even get a flag burning case considered, as the Roberts Court strongly opposes such an interpretation of the Constitution. Even still, it might be difficult for Trump to find judges assured to rule his way. Just this week, Trump appointed Justice Neil Gorsuch, broke from the conservative bloc and the Trump administration to vote in favor of upholding LGBTQ protections. As journalists Yashar Ali noted, Trump could also propose a constitutional amendment, but that is even a taller task, requiring votes from two-thirds majorities of both houses of Congress or from two-thirds of state legislatures. So let's be honest. Burning a flag is an act of speech. It is an act of free speech, of protest against whatever that flag represents in that moment, right? So I think that is completely okay. And our Supreme Court, our U.S. government has declared that it is completely okay. But every one of those asshats at his fucking rally and he himself who doesn't know anything about this fucking country and doesn't give a fuck, he just wants to be popular and wants money. Um, he wants to stifle any dissenting speech. So what's worse? The fucking supposed Republican asshat in fucking clown makeup here? Or the fucking liberal groups tearing down statues? And where are rational-minded human beings supposed to go in this fucking dichotomy? Where are we supposed to lean for a little bit of fucking rational thought? 
Because I cannot go to a Republican side when it is filled with weak fucking pseudo-fascists who are trying to move this country into more of a fucking uh, aristocracy. And I cannot go with a left fucking side that is constantly trying to stifle any dissenting voices and ruin fucking lives and wipe out history that they don't agree with. So where the fuck do we go as regular humans with objective thought and considered perspectives? That's an honest question that I do not have an answer to, and I did not prepare a fucking statement or any culminating brief. I don't know what we're supposed to do. We are literally not supposed to be in this society, I don't think. Because this society is not for the rational-minded. It is not for those who examine different sides of an issue. It is not for those who have perspective. It is only for the fucking overreacting children, regardless of age. And I just don't, I don't feel a part of it. I, I mean, I, to be fair, I've never really felt a part of this society anyway, but now I really, really don't feel a part of it because I don't have anywhere to fucking go. Even libertarians I got a problem with. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess to wrap up this segment, we're fucked. We cannot leave this dude in the office. Because he is destroying our environment, he is destroying our culture, and it's intentional. He's trying to divide us so that he can remain in power and gain more money and influence. And so what? Any other fucking alternative we're just supposed to jump on the bandwagon for? Is that our only way out? Because if that's the truth, that's fucking depressing. I always go back, get money out of politics because both of these fucking parties that control this country are bought and paid for. And they do their master's bidding. And guess what? It doesn't matter the party. They both serve the same fucking masters. And the only way to solve that is by getting money out of politics. And the only way to do that is to start local and vote and engage. And if we don't, and if we see the state of our world and just raise our fucking hands and say, fuck it, I'm just going to go home and jerk off like George Carlin says, because at the end of the day, at least I got something to show for it. If we do that, nothing ever fucking changes. So we have to get the Democrats out who are bought and paid for. We have to get the Republicans out who are bought and paid for. And we have to encourage us to get involved. Because there's no other way about it. That's it. That's it. That's all we've got. Or go live in the fucking woods. And I can do that for a little while, but not forever. <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Greg says, LeVay talked about stratification enforced by a police state. Uh, I've got a problem with that concept. Um, because the doctor said a lot of things that are taken out of context when he was trying to make a point. And the idea that the doctor who fought against the state condemning the religion that he created would then put trust in the same state 
uh, to rule is an absurd notion to me. In fact, that he's not around to clarify means that we need to stop relying on what a founder has said and start using our own minds to come up with our own opinions uh, on the subject. Uh, I do, Basilius. I do like Cenk Uygur. Um, I do not agree with everything that the Young Turks say. I do not agree with all of their perspectives or the way they present things. But the wolf pack that he set up to get money out of politics is valid. And I think it's the best hope that we have. If, 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 if we actually want a representative democracy. If we don't, collectively, then don't worry about it. We'll just keep doing whatever. Okay, let's close out this show that's going pretty long here. Yeah, I'm almost at an hour with a little creature feature. closing that earlier just so I can throw this up here because I need something to feel good about. <laughs> I got this whole show is just dragging me down heavy. Uh, okay, so allow me to nerd out for just a second here. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Star Wars fan. I ran a Star Wars podcast for a couple years with my friend Cameron and um, it didn't really go anywhere and it got to the point where we just I mean, to be quite honest, I lost my interest in Star Wars after the sequel trilogy. It just completely soured me. And then The Mandalorian came along, and it completely changed everything. And so I, I come from a place where um, the old episodic Star Trek uh, shows, they're kind of goofy and stupid and fun, and I like that. But I loved fantasy more than I liked science fantasy. Uh, like traditional fantasy and space fantasy. And so I always leaned towards Star Wars. And, um, you know, when Firefly came out, I was a huge Firefly fan. I loved it because it was like cowboys in space, which is what Star Wars has always been. Um, you know, sort of Buck Rogers and uh, cowboys. Yeah, I mean, Han Solo is a straight up fucking cowboy. So a gunslinger. And so I was connected with that. Uh, and so you know, Firefly and then the film Serenity that came back, you know, it was only a one series show, Firefly, and then they made Serenity because all the fans for years had been trying to get uh, the, the creator to, to put it out there and finally the studio got behind it. They're great. And they're like old school uh, Star Trek episodic adventures, but it's like a galaxy, this sort of a Western vibe. And so it's a space Western that is engaging and it's fun and it's exciting. And Star Wars never really had that. Um, they had the tone, but they never had that sort of episodic uh, experience. The Mandalorian is that episodic experience, and it brought me right back to the Star Wars of my youth. You know, that original trilogy vibe that I always had, that extended universe, all the video games, all the comics, all the role-playing games, the West End games that were put out. I loved that stuff about Star Wars, and Dave Filoni and... Um, um, uh, John Favreau really went above and beyond with this series, connecting it to old school ideas 
And so I, I love this series, but it was over and they're, you know, and then almost wrapping up the second season now that's going to be released this fall, but Disney released something called Disney Gallery. And it's this sort of behind the scenes look at this new Disney Plus content that's being created. And they started with The Mandalorian. And I'm one of those people who always bought those special editions of um, films that I loved because of extra scenes, all the, you know, deleted content, all the documentaries, behind the scenes, film discussions. I love all that stuff. I'm one of those people that watches the extras on a disc to my family's distaste because <laughs> I'm always watching that. And they're like, can we just watch the fucking movie now? Um, and so this is like that. This is that version of a series behind the scenes where it's just a, around a table with the creators, with the artists, with the producers, with the directors, and they just examine, right? So it's an eight episode documentary series that pulls back the curtain on the Mandalorian. Each chapter explores a different facet of the first live action Star Wars television show through interviews, behind the scenes footage, and roundtable conversations hosted by Jon Favreau. Um, I'm a huge fan of Favreau. I mean, everything from Swingers to Jungle Book. I don't go much beyond that, <laughs> except for The Mandalorian. Um, I, I just think he's great. And so to see him in this toy box that I grew up with is just fantastic. Topics this season included the filmmaking process, the legacy of George Lucas' Star Wars, how the cast brought the characters to life, the series' groundbreaking technology, the art... Artistry behind the show's practical models, effects, and creatures, plus the creative influences, the most iconic score, and connections to Star Wars characters and props from across the galaxy. And they do deep dives. Really great deep dives. And, and not only is it following in the spirit of the original Star Wars um, premise that was always pushing the medium of filmmaking forward. You know, not just in... I mean, this is the legacy of George Lucas, is pushing filmmaking, the technology behind storytelling forward. He did it. He is known for it. Everything from uh, Lucas Arts, um, uh, Skywalker Sound, um, Lucasfilm Animations, like it all exists and it's used by, you know, Pixar itself. Like it all stems out of this George Lucas desire to create better stories and you may agree more or less with what he's done throughout his you know star wars history but pushing filmmaking forward and being on that edge of technology has always been his strong suit and it will be his legacy because it is his legacy and that's exactly what they're doing with the mandalorian and that's why i love it so much they have this entire room that is just like digital screens and so instead of acting on a green screen an actor actually walks into the environment and it's this amazing way to quickly change sets quickly change scenes get shots and it's all using video game engine um uh, generating engines it's like next level shit and to to learn about it to see what it can do for this sort of universe that i love i mean it's it's the best so Here's my argument here for people. If you enjoy storytelling, if you like the process behind storytelling, I highly recommend checking out Disney Gallery, Star Wars The Mandalorian. It is completely worth your time. It is a lot of fun. And even if you don't necessarily, I'm sweating so bad, even if you don't necessarily like Star Wars itself, to watch the directors and artists and filmmakers discuss the technology and their thought process 
I mean, that's a masterclass in itself. And so I highly recommend it. Check out Disney Gallery. Okay. That's it, guys. That's all I have for today. I'm dying here. <laughs> I'm sweating so bad. My normal uh, hair cutting lady, it's her birthday, and so she was off, and so I had someone else touch me up, and they went a little high. So I'm just not really feeling it. <laughs> My haircut's not quite there. I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling the show. I hope this was entertaining for all of you, and I really do appreciate your engagement and um, interaction here. You can always subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list to find out what we're going to be doing next on this channel. And um, for those of you who um, uh, get this via podcast, give me a rating or review. I really appreciate it, but more importantly, it puts it in the front in front of other people's eyes that are looking for similar content to this, right? So if you're getting this in audio podcast, it exists. Just search Reverend Campbell wherever you get your podcasts. It'll pop up. Rating or review. I'll appreciate it. If you want to learn more about Satanism, check out churchofsatan.com. Read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. And uh, do a little bit of uh, introspection, all right? Look at yourself. Be a better version of you. Not compared to other people, but just compared to you. Because that's what this is all about. Improve on who you are so that you can then achieve successes that you set out for yourself. That is Satanism. And let's all move forward together with that concept in mind. And until next week, hail Satan, everyone.